This morning we have the opportunity to look back in time, not too far back, just a, this past week in which we look at the life of uh, Grace Hills Church reaching out to children. And, and I don't know if you found this, but a lot of times the lessons learned by children are the lessons we still need to learn as what? As adults. Have you discovered that? You know, God's not finished with us. The Bible says, for I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you. And God began his work in you at the very beginning, didn't he? In fact, the Bible says that he created us uh, in his own image and that even before we were birthed by our mothers, that, that God had us in his heart and his mind. And so the, the lessons that we were teaching all week to the children are some lessons that I thought we should as adults uh, kind of review and be reminded of. And in fact, this past week, actually, it was, it was interesting. We had, in a lot of different ways, many things to praise God about. We had a, our largest VBS, 130 children uh, were on our campus throughout the week. Um, we had the opportunity to, to share the great themes of Scripture. Uh, sometimes we focused just on the Gospels, but actually we took the time machine back all the way into the past, eternity past at creation, and then we went into Revelation, and we, we looked at what God's going to do in eternity future, and then just in case they were too far back or too far forward, we said, here's what God is doing now. And we try to really share the great themes in Scripture and to realize that the God that we call you to worship is found not in just the, the, this, the exciting stories of the Bible, but are found and rooted in time. And so this morning, what I want to talk about, it's about time, or it's time for us to consider what God has done, is doing, and will do. But I thought I'd begin this way by just sharing you a few stories, cute stories. Any of you like corny jokes? And if you don't, you're going to get some anyway, all right? So here, here's some uh, corny jokes about time. It's time. It's time to hear some things about time. Uh, let's see how sharp you are this morning. Why did, the, why did the man hold the clock? Let me figure out that riddle. He wanted more time in his hands. Okay, so that's number one. Okay, what did, what did one clock say to the other? How are you doing? How are you doing, all right? What happens when you throw a clock across the room? Time flies. I figured I wanted to give you one easy one because I know you're all failing at the other ones. Uh, now, th- this is great for, for a picnic Sunday. Uh, what did the clock say at the all-you-can-eat buffet? I'm going back four seconds. Got that? So you can use that. You know, if you feel a little bashful about having a second hamburger or a second hot dog, you're saying, that's what they said in church. I'm going back for seconds, all right? Um, couple more. What, <laughs> we had a robot in the drama this past week. What music do robots like best? Anybody know the answer to that one? I'm sure in this crowd, this is your favorite style of music, the genre that you really listen to when you go home. Heavy metal, all right? That's uh, the one robots like. And then I thought I might as well throw in a, a religious, uh, you know, statement. Uh, here's, the, here's the riddle. I was as old as my father and older than my mother when I was born. Who am I? This is the answer you can always give at church. Jesus, right? I mean, he was as old as obviously Joseph, but, I mean, but, uh, and he was as old as his eternal father, uh, but he was much older than his mother when he was born. But a couple knock-knocks. I, didn't, I, I know you like jokes, so I give you two more that they didn't get all right, in the first service. Knock-knock, who's there? The answer is dozen, and then the question is dozen who? Doesn't anybody know what time it is? That's one pretty bad. All right. Last one. And then again, this is one you can use at the picnic because you're all going to the picnic, all right? Uh, here it is. Knock, knock. Who's there? Uh, answer. Oh, I should let 
you answer the question right. Knock, knock, who's there? Justin. You're just in time for the picnic, all right, in a few moments. All right, so anyway, uh, as you think about time, we all live in time, right? And sometimes you might hear about God, and people say, well, God's above time or beyond time. And I've heard that all my life, but, you know, as I hear that, I'm, I'm not really sure if that's completely all that we need to say about God as it relates to time. He is the creator of time, and he's not bound by time, and he's not limited by time. But God is not only beyond time and above time, but he's also in time. Isn't that true? You know, at the appointed time, God sent forth his son. And, and when we pray to him, we're praying to him in time, so he must be somehow connected to time, but he's not limited by time. And, and so God created time when he created the universe, and as he created time, he wants us to be aware that we are, we are stewards of whatever time we have. In fact, the Bible says that time on this earth is like a vapor, it's like striking a match, and if you ever struck a match or seen one strike a match, it doesn't, doesn't continue to burn or light forever. There's a, there's a time it shines and there's a time it doesn't shine. And, and so this morning and actually throughout the week, we were emphasizing with the, the children, and, and we're just big children with bigger bodies, is that we need to realize that we need to understand how time, how God uses time and how God wants us to use time. And we only have so much of it, and, and we, better, we better be good stewards of it. We better, we better take advantage of the opportunities he gives us with time. In some ways, I was kind of struggling, how do I, how do I want to wrap in a sermon title the message of an entire week? And, and initially, I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll just coin the phrase or use the phrase uh, that I'm going to talk. It's about time. In, in one sense, I want to use that because that really kind of, in one sense, speaks about the urgency of time. There's, there's a... There's a a point where you, you got to make a choice. Have you found that to be true? You know, whether you're going to move or stay the place where you're at, if you, if you go to a, a restaurant or even when you go to the picnic, you have to decide, am I going to have a hamburger or am I going to have a what? Hot dog. And if you, if you can't make a decision, you're not going to have what? You're not going to have either. Right? You're just going to go hungry. And so there's a time in which you got to decide. And as you think about the most important decision that anyone ever makes, it's it's always, it's about time to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? If Jesus is who he claimed to be, it's about time that you decide, are you going to be on his team or not on his team? Are you going to be in his family? Or are you going to reject his invitation to be part of his family? It's about time you make a decision. But I recognize whenever we are in a place like this, and whether it's a place like this during the week where we spoke to children, or whether it's now as we're speaking mostly to adults, some of you I'm not real sure about if you're really adults, but you know, it's, a, it's about time that you decide about Jesus in terms of eternal destiny, but it's always time to consider, even if you've made that choice, what are you doing with it now? Because sometimes we live in the past and say, well, yeah, I, I made that decision to, to be a follower of Jesus, but are you following him now? It's always time to follow Jesus, right? And, and so we're going to talk about that this morning because what I want to do is, is answer two questions that kind of put together some of the themes that we put together this past week with the children. It's time for what? It, it's time to know who is the true God, and it's time to know how to follow the true God. Because we had two goals. We, we wanted to introduce Jesus for those children that did not know Jesus who is the true God and what you need to do to put your faith and trust in Him, and it begins with knowing who He is. But then we wanted to teach children, either for the first time or for all the time, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We don't want them to simply follow Jesus during a, a week in 2018 that 
happen to land in June. We want them to follow Jesus all their life, and we want all of us to follow Jesus all our life. And it's always time to follow Jesus. But the question is, well, how do you do that? Because it's a constant challenge. Would, would you agree with that, that for those of you who have already stepped over the line of faith, that you don't always follow Jesus as, as closely as you should and that he wants you to too? And, and so we, we have to be motivated and we have to know how, how do we do that. And, and hopefully, as we were sharing with the children, as we share with all of us today, that these are some things that would be helpful. Is when you're struggling with following Jesus right now, what do you need to do? And so we'll, we'll look at that this morning. So let's begin at the beginning, which is, it's time for what? It's time to know who is the true God. And, and that is where our, our theme verse was, and that's our theme verse for the month, and you all love to memorize verses, right? You all love to memorize verses. So uh, Revelation 1.8, if the children can do it, that means what? We can do it, right? And so uh, my, my four-year-old grandchild, uh, child, did I tell, tell you I have grandchildren? She was so excited about it. She had memorized this first verse, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And who's speaking? It says the Lord God, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. That's from the ESV version. That's the version they used this past week. And it, it's pretty straightforward. And it really identifies who God is. In fact, the reason we know it identifies who God is because who's speaking? God, is the, this is not a trick question, right? God is saying this about himself, so it's not just hearsay that someone else had an opinion about God and their opinion wasn't right. This is God describing himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And so in that, it describes the nature of, of who God is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. What does that mean? The, the, the word alpha and omega really describes alphabet, but not in the English language, but in the Greek language. It really is simply the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And, and so who is the, the Lord God Almighty? He, he is everything from A to Z. That, that's, pretty, that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Because when you think of anything that, that we have in this earth that is described by words, which everything in this world is described, in this universe described by wor- words, it, it's all encompassed in who Jesus is. He, is. he is the A to Z. Every single word is formulated by the alphabet. Isn't that true? And so anything and everything that you can imagine God is resonant in terms of who that is. And, and so that, that's, a, that's a pretty high description of God Almighty. He is from A to Z. There's nothing left out in who God is. But then he goes on and he says this. Oh, by the way, and again, this is God speaking. He says, the Lord God. He says, I am I'm the one who was and is and is to come. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, and that means he's the one who was in the past. He's the one who was in the present. And he's the one in the future. And really, and we're going to see this a little bit later on in a moment, but God has always revealed himself. And he's done it in the past, and he's done it in the present. He's going to do it graphically in the future that is to come. And so anything that we think about in terms of life, that, that it's, it's not, you know, who just came lately? You know, Jesus, some people look at Jesus and say, well, how can you believe in someone who, who was around 2,000 years ago? Isn't that kind of an old religion? That 2000, how can you believe in a man 2,000 years ago? Well, we think of this one who was way beyond that. He has always existed. And he will always exist. He exists before time even was measured here on earth. Who was and is, and he's coming back. This is the one we're urging people to, to put their trust in, the true God. 
Then even simply the idea he is the almighty. And, and that really puts some urgency in terms of, of really not, only, not only knowing who is the true God, but deciding, it. are you in? And are you all in? Because we're not talking about someone who says, well, you know, I hope you believe in me. And sometimes we think of that way with God. He, he's up there in heaven. And he's, just, he's just so worried about that we would somehow, you know, put our trust in him. Look, at, he's the almighty one. We're the one who gets the privilege of trusting him. In the book of Revelation, which is where Revelation 1.8 is found, uh, it's used seven times in that book. And, and in it, you see God in his, his power, which is omnipotent, to use the fancy word that people use that. He's all-powerful. We see God coming in his power and bringing judgment, not only judgment, but now setting up his kingdom, his rule throughout the entire universe displayed in all its abundance. And so when we think about inviting people to trust in the one true God, it's, it's the one who encompasses everything. He's from A to Z. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who has the past and the present and the future all settled because that's, that's who created the past and the present and the future and has always been. And he's the one who is all-powerful. He's almighty. He's the one who's going to bring judgment and reward, and he's going to set up his kingdom in its fullest sense when he comes again. But for many of us, okay, I, I get that. He's the supreme being. He's the ultimate being. But, but uh, who is he? There's all kinds of uh, words that people describe as, uh, you know, the powerful being that, that might have had a hand in starting things. Who is he? Well, the Bible does not leave us in the dark. And that's why Jesus came. And I just want to look at one passage. We didn't use it this past week. And in the Gospel of John, which is really the Gospel of belief, in which in no uncertain terms it's presented very clearly. Well, just who is Jesus? Is he, is he just a, a teacher? Is he a rabbi, a religious leader? And so Jesus made some statements. And one of the things that we wanted to do this past week, we wanted to be clear. We wanted to illustrate the truth in so many different ways that, that they would get it. And sometimes we hear it, but we don't get it. And so you look around the room, and there's all kinds of object lessons here that, that speak about, you know, creation, or it speaks about how God governs time. And, and we had science projects, and we had crafts, and even in the refreshments that tried to illustrate truth. And we, we, we had recreation that wasn't just getting the, the kids, you know, having the opportunity to get the the, their energy dissipated so we can control them in other places. Every, every game illustrated truth. Because God wants us to not only hear the message, he wants us to get it. And so people back then were confused a little bit, well, just who is this true God? Or who is this Jesus who's just creating all kinds of crowds? And so, so Jesus made it plain in so many different ways. And he said, okay, let me, let me put it as, as clearly as possible. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And I mentioned to you, throughout the week, we try to share some of the great themes from Genesis to Revelation. And if you begin with Genesis, you have to explain who God is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then later on, it says, well, let us make man in our image. Well, so in the beginning, you have one God, but there seems to be a plurality about him. Well, what is that? Well, the Bible says there's one God, but with one God, there are persons. In fact, there are three persons. There's a plurality about who God is. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as God fully revealed himself, how do we, we, we know throughout creation there is a God because this couldn't have happened by accident. The Bible says in Romans that we're without excuse if we don't believe in God because that's just nonsense. How could, 
how could nothing times nothing equal everything? I mean, I, you know, I took math, and that would not work. Nothing times nothing equals everything. Nothing times nothing equals what? Well, I'm glad some of you passed ma- basic math, right? Nothing times nothing equals nothing. But, but that doesn't tell us who God is in terms of his nature. And so God has fully revealed himself, and he's fully revealed himself in Jesus. And when Jesus came, he said, Look, I want you to understand this. There's one God. But within one God, there, there are persons, and I and the Father are one. But you might be like people today are skeptics and say, well, yeah, well, he, he's just saying I, I, I'm on the same page as God is, God the Father. Well, that's not how they interpret it. In John chapter 10, verse 31, it says, the Jews who understood the language, they, they didn't have to have it translated for them, and they understood the culture, they understand where Jesus is coming from, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works, which basically said, I showed you miracles, and and they were from the Father. I gave credit to God, God the Father. It was miraculous. Uh, Which of them are you stoning me? Because I've helped people and I've done the miraculous, which points to being who God is, a a helper and and a miracle worker. And the Jews answered him, verse 3, for a good work or a miraculous work or a helpful work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Now, blasphemy is a religious word, but it simply means this, that to speak evil of. But they weren't simply saying speaking evil of, of a human being, but they were saying you're speaking evil, as we'll see in a moment, of God himself. But for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself out to be who? God. So as we think about who is the one that we are to put our trust in, who is the true God? He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the one from A to Z. He is the Almighty One. He is the one who started the past, present, and the future and holds it in his hands. But let's be honest. He has revealed himself fully. He is Jesus. And either that is true or that is false. And it's false. We might as well throw away this book because that's the message of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That who is God? God has revealed himself completely and fully in Jesus. So here's the big question. Here's the big issue. It's about time or it's time. It's time to decide who do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the true God, the almighty one, the past, present, and future, the alpha and omega? Because that's how the Bible presents who he is. And so we wanted the people to know, the little people, who Jesus is and who it is we were calling them to trust. But then you have to back up, okay, that, that's who Jesus was. Well, how, how, how do I trust him, or how do I continue to follow him if that's who he is? Because, you know, I'm, I'm just starting this adventure, or maybe I've been on this adventure, but I haven't quite got it yet. I'm struggling to, to always follow him, to be timely in my following of him. Well, let's look at it, and we, we try to present it in a variety of different ways, but we use key verses to, to emphasize that. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so what I want to do, and I want to build a case, and in case this case doesn't get presented very clearly, let me, let me put it this way. Well, as we think about who God is and the attributes and characteristics about him, it really gives us a picture Okay, if he's that, and that's who he is, then how is it we follow him? 
And he says that all things were created through him and for him. Or to put it very simply, we follow him by reminding ourselves he's, cre- he's the creator or as the creator and maker of all things. If you begin at the beginning, which is always the best place to begin whenever you begin something, in the book of Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. In the beginning, the very first in the verse in the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The word create in the, in the original language, the word, in the language of Hebrew, uh, the word for create there is the word bara. Now, bara can be used in, ver- in various contexts, which are obvious when it's presented that way. It can be used in a general sense like a maker of something. Sometimes we say something. If I'm, if I'm doing a craft, which I normally don't do because I've got 10 thumbs, not 10 fingers, you know, I don't do very well with that. But if I were to make something, you could actually recognize, you say, well, look what Mike created. You know, you could, you could visualize what, I'm, what I made. But more specifically, the word barak, to create means to bring something into existence that previously was not in existence. Now, let me ask you, have any of you actually done that? Now, I don't mean creating something that looks like something no one else had made, but I mean starting with nothing and bringing something into existence. Because that's what the Bible says. He started with nothing and created everything. Now, he also not only created things, but he made things. Once he put all the building blocks together, you know, out of the dust of the earth he made us, he blew, he blew into us the breath of life, was the creating of life, but he, he formed us from the things he made. Is that as we think about following Jesus, we follow him not only as Savior, but as creator and maker. And think about that for a moment. I was sharing the first service. You know, have you ever purchased something that uh, maybe Ikea or you've gone to something and, and the thing about Ikea, it's got pretty good prices there, but when you take it home, you gotta, what do you got to do with it? You got to put it together. Uh, don't tell Alice I said this or anybody, any of my male friends, but Alex is so, Alex, Alice is so much better putting those things together than I am. I mean, she just naturally does it. When I have to do it, I have to read every piece of instruction very, very carefully. Because it just doesn't come natural to me to take all those parts and put them together. I, I, have to, I have to somehow read this very carefully or I have way too many parts at the end of my production, right? Now, why would I follow that plan to put something from Ikea together? Because it, it's so helpful to consult the creator or maker of something, right? And so when we follow Jesus, what we're doing, we're simply saying, I, I need your instruction manual. And when you follow Jesus, take his writing, take his book, and say, what is, it, what is it you've done for me that I can follow after, believe I'm empowered and encouraged by, and what are some specific things you want me to do in light of what you've done for me? That's how we follow Jesus. Take what he has said and believe it, and then take what he has said and then do it. I think that's an idea of trust and what? Obey. Trust that he's the creator, he's the maker, he knows more than you do, and then follow what he has said. And then it goes on, interesting enough, and it says not only is he the creator, you know, all things are made through him and for him, and then it says that he is before all things. Now, what in the world does that mean, and how does that apply to following him? Because sometimes we make the Christian life a little bit more mystical than it needs to be. I mean, God is the, is, is the one that we cannot see, but he can live within us, and we can experience him as much as we experience anything else in this entire universe. But what does it mean to follow someone you can't see? Well, 
partly is to realize that he should be followed. I don't know about you, but there's a, I have a stubborn gene somewhere. I, you know, anybody have a stubborn gene that sometimes you, you, know, you like, kind of want to do your own thing, you know, what somebody else wants you to do? It, is that we need to recognize if we're going to follow Jesus and how we follow him is to realize he's worthy to be followed. He is before all things. He, he, is, he has not only the right to, but he has the wisdom to, to lead us. And so we, we follow what Jesus does because he is before all things. And I think we can see that in all kinds of experiences. If, if, if you really are struggling something and you know someone knows more than you do, and, and, and they have the agenda all planned out, not only because they're the creator and maker, but they, they have the position to, they are the leader, then follow them. So we always need to remind ourselves that how do we follow the one true God? Be, he's the maker. He knows what's going on, but he, he has the right to tell us what to do. And then not only is he the maker of all things, and he's the one before all things, we were also communicating with the children this week, and in him all things hold together. Have you ever had parts of your life kind of fall apart? Some things, maybe it's a relationship, maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a goal or a plan, and, and it just not seem, seem to be coming together. Ever had that? You're working on a project or you're working on, on something that you want to see work within the family or within relationships or just whatever, whatever agenda you have in your life, and it just doesn't seem to come together. The Bible tells us that the universe is that way. Have you, have you noticed that we don't live in a perfect world right now? I mean, when you read the paper, do you hear more about good news or bad news? Bad news. I mean, you, you don't have to wonder. I wonder if anything bad happened around the, the globe today. Things are always breaking down. And you know what? They'd break down even more if God didn't somehow hold some things together. In fact, anything that's still together is because God kept it together. You see those uh, molecules over there? It took me a while to figure out those are molecules, but those are molecules. And within molecules, I discovered, and for those of you who are scientists, you can correct me afterwards, but what I read is that within molecules, that a lot of what molecules have in terms of, its, of, its, of its, how, it's comp- how it's put together is there's, it's, it's put together with a lot of space in between. And, and they're trying to figure out, well, how, how, how does all that space and all those electrons and neutrons and protons, how do they all work together? And I did some reading on that. There's some interesting types of explanations of it. But there is no settling explanation of why things don't, don't blow apart in our universe. Well, the Bible says that in him all things hold together. So as we think about pursuing life to its fullest, we follow Jesus because he made all things. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. He should be before all things. He has the right to tell us what to do. And he's the one thing that can put things back together. You know, Humpty Dumpty, that, that, that children's store, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and somehow he fell off and what happened? Man, everything went to, you know, everything was a mess. And in this world, nothing can put Humpty Dumpty back together, but, but God can put back together any life that chooses to follow him, believe that he can put all things together. Well, that was the first week, and that really was a a principle all based on creation. Because God is a creator, we can follow him because he's the maker of all things. There's another verse, and I want to run through that fairly quickly. So on the back page, Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, some of you just need a little help in terms of being encouraged to memorize verses. So let's just say that together. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One more time. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, whether you believe it or not, you know, you just memorize a verse, right? And if you want to know where the address is, it's Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you might ask yourself the question, well, what does that tell us about how to follow God, the one true God? Well, let's think about that for a moment. Is that when you think about following someone, if you're going to follow someone, it really helps if you can trust them. Have you ever, have you ever followed someone you found out later you were following the wrong person? You know, the person you were trusting in really wasn't trustworthy. And maybe as you look back at yourself, well, you say, there's a reason why I follow them because in the past or how I was observing them in the present, they looked like a person I could follow. But one thing you could not predict, even though you saw their past and saw them in the present, you weren't sure what they're going to be like in the... Oh, you such a sharp class out there, right? Because what happens is that people change. Have you discovered that about yourself? You change? Nod your head like, yeah, you're agreeing with me, right? We all change. Now, we all know we change physically. One of the things that happened is that uh, one of the crafts is they, they had the children make a time capsule. And what they did is they put all kinds of stickers on it, and you think this looks pretty nice, that I did it. Actually, someone did it for me, and they gave it to me. But, but in it, they put a time capsule, and, they, and then there was a sheet with all kinds of questions. And they were to describe themselves now. And then they were to bury it someplace, and 10 years from now, they were to put it in the ground on the 28th of June and then 2028, 10 years past 2018, they were to open it and see if the questions that, were at, that they answered here about what was your favorite food to eat, what's your favorite activity, you know, who's your best friend, you know, whatever it might be. What do you like to wear? What do you like, what do, you like to do? And find out it's the same thing 10 years from now. Now, I, I would guess that 10 years from now, some of these, anywhere from 4 years old to, what is it, 11, 12, or 13, uh, that some of their answers might be, a, might be what? Different. Because the reason it would be different, because 10 years from the time they filled out that piece of paper, their life would be changed. But I want you to understand, the reason we can trust God is that we can trust God, but He never changes. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he can be trusted in the past, and he, be, he looks like he can be trusted in the present, you can be banked on it that he can be trusted in the future. And, and so we talked about Jesus not only at creation, but also we talked about him revealing himself throughout history. In fact, we even taught them a, a very theological word, the word Christophany. The word Christophany simply means the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And you may or may not be able to see there's a burning bush over there, and I didn't make that one either. Someone made that for me as well. But if you're familiar with about the Old Testament at all, there's a story about Moses, and he's, he's kind of taking vacation for 40 years in the wilderness, and um, in the desert, actually. And he hasn't heard from God for a long period of time, and God shows up. And not everyone in the Old Testament got the miraculous experiences that we read about, but Moses did. And God spoke to him out of a little bush or tree that was on fire, and yet the fire did not consume the tree. And, there, and, and this was amazing. And then all of a sudden, the, the tree started speaking. And, you know, it was amazing to Moses. And what was that? That was God revealing himself in time in the past, preparing for what happen in the future, and that we look back in his past when Jesus came at the cross. 
So when we think about Jesus, we don't just think about Jesus at Christmas. We think about Jesus throughout time because he revealed himself in the Old Testament, looking forward to the time when he'd fully reveal himself when he came and revealed himself at Christmas and then as he lived here on earth and then as he promises to come in the future. So how do we trust God? We trust God because he's, he's the creator, the maker, and he, he knows more about life than anyone else in life because he, he created everything in life. He can be trusted because he should have first place and because he's the one who um, can be trusted with our lives and also because he's, he's trustworthy because he, he never changes. Uh, you know, as I was just thinking about it in the first service is that, do you know some people that, that they're always on an emotional roller coaster? You don't know what side of the bed they're going to get out on, get off on. They, that that you know, are they going to be in a good mood or what's the other side? You know, bad mood. Are, are, are today are they going to be? Are they going to tell you the truth or, or is this one of the days they're going to always tell you that which is a, a lie? Now, there's all kinds of reasons why we, in our limited state, uh, can't always be trusted. But God can always be trusted because He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, quickly, two or three other verses. The most familiar verse in the Bible, probably for everyone, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there are different translations, and this is the ESV, but you know that, that verse is the verse that really summarizes the message of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That as we think about God's plan, God's plan is initiated because he cares about us. And that's expressing for God so love the world. And some who have come from various religious backgrounds, some from really no religious background or from other faiths, one of the things that they're just overly impressed by is that they learn about a God who loves them and cares for them. God is not out there delighting and judging people. That, that might happen, but he wants to rescue people. And he's made it simple. Sometimes we think that the message of the Bible is, is too complicated for us to understand. It's, it's pretty clear. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he, he gave his son. He gave his son so that if you would just trust him, believe in him, you don't have to perish but have eternal life. And so if you were to put that in a phrase, you could put it this way. How do, how do we trust God? How do we follow God? We follow God as the life giver. And when we're overwhelmed by the gratitude and gratefulness of God's goodness to us, why wouldn't we want to trust him? He's the one who promises to give us quantity of life and quality of life. Quantity of life that we can spend forever with him. And that's what eternal life is. But throughout scripture, the Bible describes not only quantity of life, but quality of life. He's the one who says, I, I want to give you life, but life more abundantly, that it might be full and meaningful. I, I want you to experience the pleasures that are forevermore because I can give you the joy that lasts forever. And so whenever we forget that he's truly the life giver, not the life taker, then we'll follow him because we, we're just drawn to, to follow what he has said. And, and that really speaks about that love that was expressed at the cross. So you have the creation and you have the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament in time, Christophanies, then, then you have the cross. But we've looked at the past, and at least when it was written, that was the present. Well, what, what about the future? Well, there's a couple of verses we could look at that, and it also teaches about how to follow him. In John 14, 2, 
In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you? For I go to prepare a place for you. Before John 14, 2, if you're familiar with all the Bible, there's a verse before that. It's John 14. Are you still with me, or do I need to start preaching all over? Before John 14, 2 is John 14, 1, all right? Well, before John 14, 2, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, in my Father's house are many rooms, if we're not told, what I have not told you, if I've, but I go to prepare a place for you. What were they worried about? They were, they were worried about their future because their future was, was kind of clouded. And maybe you've come this morning and you're, you're not sure about your future. You're not really settled about what might happen next. And it might not be, you, know, my, you might not be worried about Monday, but maybe the day after Monday or a month from now or a year from now or a decade from now or looking at the end of your life. What, what's going to happen then? And, and, and Jesus was telling people then, he, he's telling people now, don't be troubled about the future. Settle it. Actually, where trouble means don't be confused. Don't be confused. It's laid out. And he was speaking to his own disciples. He said, it's laid out for you who have come to that place. You trust me and believe in me. And I want you to tell you about the future. In my Father's house, which is just a colorful way to talk about heaven, I've prepared a place for you. There are many rooms, and your name is on one of them because you put your trust and faith in me. Of course, the contrast is there. If, if you haven't put your faith and trust in me, if you, if you haven't put your belief and trust in me, then you don't have a reservation in that place that God has prepared for those who know him and love him. But the point is, and we're, we're talking about it's time to make a decision about who Jesus is, who is God. It's also time to realize it's always time to follow him. Follow him as your creator maker. Follow him as the one who's never going to change. He's trustworthy. Follow him as the, as the one who's the life giver. Follow him as, as the one who has given you a future, a secure future. If you know in the end you win, you, you don't have to worry about the little things, right? And the reality is to God, all things are little compared to what he's done. And so the, the good news is we were to share this very powerful story to, to little people, just like it's powerful for bigger people, is that God loves you so much, he's got a place for you if you know him and love him. You can have a secure future. And then finally, the last verse of the, of the week, found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under, under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that verse, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it as simple as possible. You know, how do we follow the, the one who is God? And all that we've said is, again, motivation for and instruction for. He's the creator. He knows what's going on, so follow his game plan written in Scripture. You know, he is trustworthy because you would never trust someone you couldn't trust. He is the one you should be overfilled with gratitude because he gives you life, quantity of life and quality of life. He's settled your future. You don't have to be wondering what's going to happen next. But above all else, if you're going to leave one thing, and remember one thing, he's, he's the one in charge. He's the Lord. Now, we don't use that language very often you know, in America. We, know, we have presidents. We have people that are policemen. We have teachers and coaches and parents and things like that. And those are people who are in positions of responsibility and authority of others. They're raising them up. They're governing them. They're policing them, whatever it might be. But there has to be someone who's ultimately in charge, and the one who's ultimately in charge is God. He is the Lord. 
And eventually, everyone's going to have to, they're going to have to bow their knee, either forcibly by God's hand or, or willingly because they've already made that decision, is that we follow. How do we follow Jesus in time? Is every moment of every day we decide, is, is he going to be in charge of my life or am I going to be in charge of my life? And we battle that and all kinds of things, and we, we go down the wrong path. But to get back on, on the right path, we remember, okay, you're, you're the Lord. You're the one in charge. And I can trust you because you love and care for me, but you're in charge. You know, whether you're a parent, you're a coach, you're a teacher, whatever it might be, often you, you have to establish that with those who are following you. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm directing here. You know, that'd be the case just in human relationships. How much more so is it in spiritual relationships? But it keeps it pretty simple. How do we live for God? We just remember he's in charge, we're not. He's God, we're not. He's the leader and we're the follower. And when we do that, then we know what, what time is all about. It's time to trust in the true God and it's time to follow the true God. So what's the question left for us? The question for us is, how are we following? Have we made that step to follow him for the very first time and say, I'm going to give my life to him. I'm surrendering my life to him. I'm giving him my life and receiving his life. That's how it begins. And then how it continues is exactly what we've talked about today. We remember who he is, what he's doing, and continue to do. He's leading us. And how to live by faith is simply take what God says in his word and then doing it, following him, obeying him, trusting him with our life. And all I can do is I, just like we urge the children to do that, I want to I illustrate, I want to urge all of us as bigger children to do the same, to know him and to follow him. And to remind him, he's given us a game plan. Let's, let's get in the game and play it through his power and his strength and his spirit the best way we can. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God who reveals himself in the past and in the present and in the future. And you have just simply called us to, to choose to follow you. And then after we choose to follow you, then to faithfully continue to follow you. And if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that step, might they understand it's, it's, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's admitting our need to trust Jesus and admitting that we have sin that separates from us from him. But then not only admitting that we need to trust Jesus and have him deal with the sin, the things that we do wrong in our life by forgiving us our sin, we need to believe that when he died on the cross, he died for our sins and paid the penalty for our sins. So we admit our need, we believe in him, and then we just, we commit. And each one of us can commit even where we sit this, this morning. Commit to, to say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. And when we make that commitment to you, then you do what only you can do. You'll change us from the inside out. Father, help us to know you and help us to follow you. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.